you cannot think of anything in engineering which is done by a single engineer. We are, by definition, a collaborative cohort. We have to work together. And, and all the big challenges of the 21st century are really, you know, mechanical engineering, electrical, electronic engineering, chemical engineering, material science, all together. Hello, I'm Sue Nelson, and welcome to the Create the Future podcast, brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, celebrating engineering visionaries and inspiring creative minds. Misha Dola could easily be called a polymath. He's an engineer, a composer, speaks six languages, plays the piano, has five albums on Spotify and is the Chair Professor of Wireless Communications at King's College London's Centre for Telecommunications Research in their Department of Engineering, the first to build a fully functioning 5G system for the UK. He's also worked for France Telecom, co-founded World Sensing, Europe's largest Internet of Things company, is Editor-in-Chief of two journals, and is on the advisory board of the UK's communications regulator, Ofcom. Misha has a degree in telecommunications from Dresden University of Technology and, from King's College London, both a master's and a PhD in telecommunications. So I thought it best to start with 5G and get him to explain what the key difference is between this and 4G, which, for a lot of people, is already pretty good. Yeah, people always wonder, why do we need a new generation? And uh, it turns out in telecoms, we're quite lucky, actually, and and that the uh, key performance indicators, so performance in general to the consumer, improve by one or two orders of magnitude. So let's look at the uh, data rate. And uh, if we look how, uh, you know, the data rate has improved from 3G to 4G to 5G, we see that actually, you know, it's always been multiplied by, by 10. So if you do have a 5G phone with you today, you can have an average data rate of about 100 megabits per second. And on a good day or on a good night when nobody else is using the system is about uh, one gigabit per second, right? And then 4G, it's a tenth of that. And uh, the same happens with the latency. So that's something which we haven't really paid attention to in 4G, but became really important in 5G in that the the delay it takes when you click on your mobile phone and load a website, that, that latency in 5 and 4G was about, you know, anything between 60 and 100 milliseconds. In 5G, this is now down to 10 milliseconds and sometimes to one millisecond. And you may wonder, why do we need such a low latency? Well, it turns out there's some very attractive 5G applications which need exactly that. Gosh, when you're talking about milliseconds, it blows the mind, really. But but can people really tell the difference? You know, consciously, we cannot. Of course, we cannot. We can't really measure that. But subconsciously, interestingly, we can. And as a human, as a human being, we're geared for millions of years towards a 10 millisecond interaction. It's actually exactly the time it takes for the, you know, the optical signal enter my eye and then the signal being transport, transported to my brain. You're being processed. So every time I get 
my optical visuals within 10 milliseconds, I know I am with somebody, you know, I get this feeling of, of immediacy of this, uh, you know, full immersion. And uh, with that come, of course, all these emotions we get when we meet people, right? So you, you, you realize, of course, that, you know, meeting somebody in, in person is very different to meeting somebody over Zoom. And that's exactly because of these 10 milliseconds. And, you know, having 5G now around the corner allows us for the very first time in, you know, in tech history to actually recreate these type of emotions when people meet whilst actually not being in the very same physical place. So, yes, these 10 milliseconds or one millisecond really matter to, to humans. It's interesting you use the word emotion there because I've seen that you've spoken about wanting to give technology a soul. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I just realized that we as engineers, we are, we are really good in building boxes and writing millions of lines of codes. And often people then don't understand why are we doing that? And uh, you go to these tech shows, uh, you know, and, and, and all these boxes are being shown off. And I, you know, when we started designing 5G, I realized that actually what we need to do is to really reach out to the demand side, to, to people who will be using that. And there, with 5G, I figured, you know, we don't want to we don't want to do this. So we don't want to end up in 2020 when the tech comes out and then suddenly everybody's asking, why do we need this, right? So as early as 2014, 15, we started at King, we started to reach out, you know, to theaters, to people, to, 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 to doctors, to transport companies, just ask them a simple question. You know, if you had a piece of technology, it's called 5G coming out in 2020, what would you do? And uh, of course, everybody was rejecting me initially because uh, they just thought it's just, you know, it's just a piece of tech they're using every day. But uh, over time, I was very persistent. Over time, we kind of came together, did very, very interesting co-creation workshops. And uh, over time, you know, we realized, my engineers realized that there's more to tech and uh, people using it uh, realized, uh, you know, there's more than just an Ethernet cable, which happens to be invisible. So that's why I, I called it giving technology a soul, because when you start co-creating, a lot of really interesting things come out. And let's go to the, the, the less emotional side of it, although I'm sure designing something like 5G is filled with emotions in terms of pride and what have you. But what did building that system actually involve? A lot of revolution has actually happened with 5G. So probably the, the biggest, uh, you know, tech revolution with 5G is really that we transited from a system which was very much, you know, hardware based and uh, box driven to one which was completely software driven. Okay. And, uh, you know, having a software driven system is actually really a revolution in telecoms. You, you, you using a computer every day and, you know, that transition in the computing industry has happened a few decades back. And if you look at, you know, I'm sitting right now in front of a Dell computer. It's been, uh, you know, manufactured by Dell. My operating system is Microsoft and I'm using a Chrome browser, right? We have completely decoupled essentially hardware, middleware and software. Now in the telco industry, that was not the case until, you know, until 5G came along. And uh, we believe that decoupling that hardware uh, the middleware in the software which will run 5G really will accelerate innovation because everybody now can essentially work at much quicker cycles. So this is really one of the very, very big revolutions which has happened in, in 5G. And then there are loads of smaller 
you know, at tech revolutions, we're using frequencies, uh, much higher frequencies in the gigahertz range, which nobody dared to use before. We didn't even know it would work. And, and it turns out it does work. And uh, we are using that today. So a lot of small components, innovations, you know, a lot of really interesting stuff. But for me, really, the, the big change is that change in operating philosophy uh, from hardware to a fairly open software driven and federated uh, telco ecosystem. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that you play the piano, you're a a composer. So it's quite interesting that your passions combined when you worked on the world's first interactive 5G music concert. Explain how that concert worked then. Where were you? (laughs) So, yes, we did essentially the really the world's first 5G piano concert it was. And, uh, you know, I was in Berlin. I was playing under the Brandenburger Tor. And uh, my daughter, Noah, she was uh, in the Guildhall in London. And we thought, you know, uh, let's do this in the Guildhall because it is the UK's oldest entertainment venue. So the Romans brought that about 2,000 years you know, into the UK. And we thought, you know, let's combine this very historic entertainment venue with this very modern technology called 5G. So my, my daughter was uh, singing there. I was in Berlin. And yes, we could have done this over a Zoom or Skype call, but the latency would have been in the order of 150, 200 milliseconds. Uh, we could have also used, uh, you know, a very specialized cable to connect both venues and bring down the latency to something like 10 milliseconds, but it would have been very expensive. Uh, The the novelty, the pioneering contribution of this concept was really to use what will eventually become a commodity technology called 5G. Everybody can use it, any musicians, anybody who wants to use it and connect themselves, uh, you know, within 10, 20 millisecond reach to any point in the world. And that's what we wanted to show, you know, two continents, two countries apart, you know, linked on a very emotional link. You know, this is a a father-daughter link here. To be honest with you, you know, I, I, I struggled not to cry during my actual performance because it it felt like Noah was with me. Noah was standing beside oh. me with me in Berlin. So it, it was a wonderful moment. And she's quite young, isn't she? Well, you know, we did. Yes, she's uh, 14. And back then she was uh, 12. But yeah, she she loves singing. She brings sings in the Royal Opera House. She sang with Madonna as well when she uh, released her new album, Madame X. So she, she just loves to be on stage. But she was nervous. We were all nervous. We didn't even know if it would work. Uh, but it turned out to be uh, really well. So. Uh, and what is it about the area of telecommunications that you enjoy as an engineer? Is it the, the coding side? Is it the technical side? Is it the combining it with the arts and music? It comes in wave, you know, it comes really in waves. And in them, because we have a bit of time designing these generations, uh, initially it is a use case exploration, which is what we, we did in 2015 and 14 with 5G. But then, you know, it becomes uh, hands-on very quickly because we need to design the architecture, meaning, you know, we are kind of building the, blo- the, the building blocks of the, of the entire system. And it's extremely, extremely complicated. You know, the fact that you can buy a phone in the UK with a SIM card in Spain, an opera- operating system made in the US, uh, and you are actually in South America and calling your friend in, in Australia 
it's because we make it happen, but it's really complicated in the back. So, you know, building building the design of that is one thing. Then we need to prototype. So there needs to be a, a lab where we can we can build it. Then we start standardizing this. So we contribute to standards. Then we build policies around this to make sure there's an uptake of the technology. And, and, and then we really start, you know, kind of embedding it into, let's say, theaters. We start using the technology. Then there's often a lot of press and media. And then we start from zero again with the next generation, right? So we go in these cycles, which is actually quite exciting. You worked at Orange France Telecom. Uh, that was a couple of years after your PhD. What did you do in between that led up to that position as senior researcher? Yeah, so I was actually an academic at, at King. So I was a, a, a lecturer in King's College. So I finished my PhD. You know, I, was, I, I got the lecturer position in them. Um, my wife got a, a fantastic offer in uh, the particle accelerator in France. You know, we, we lived apart for one year and I said, you know, I, I just don't want to do it. And I, I left my king's position and, uh, and moved to France and got that uh, position at France Telecom, which was, um, which was really brilliant because we started to work on exciting topics, which, you know, 10 years later turned out to be a really big thing. We, for instance, co-founded the uh, standards group on Etsy end-to-end machine-to-machine, which is underpinning now all the IoT connectivity in the world. So, you know, back then you wouldn't know. We're doing many of these activities every day and, you know, some of them turn really big. So that's really my my big thing I did at France Telecom. And, and is this sort of part and parcel of a career in engineering that you can work on specific research and some of it will go on to transform the world and others won't necessarily, you know, have that big of an impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly it's exactly this. Right. And that makes it also so exciting. And and um, it's, you know, research is really about opening doors and you know trying to understand if there's something new something exciting something viable behind that door and whilst you open it you often open up uh, many more doors and you know so as an engineer i think we we learn really to keep things very tangible and that's what i like about engineering you know as i think if i look at my mathematics friends or physics friends they can spend you know decades on string theory you know, it's just not possible that we spend decades on 2G or 3G because the, the, the field just really moves on very quickly. So I think that tangible aspect, you know, building impact usage, you know, societal transformation is, is really what excites me. But there's a bit of try and error, really. And there are a lot of things we did back then, you know, haven't led to anything, but you, you just don't know, right? It may, uh, somebody may read uh, about our research we did 10 years back maybe in 20 years time and there sparks a new idea you know that connectivity in the research community is, is, is quite fascinating was that period of time at orange france then what sort of got you interested in becoming an entrepreneur and investing in startups and small companies yourself so it definitely triggered that the inspiration though to do it came from my father i have to say you know my father really is a very inspirational figure he's a, he's a, he was a professor in informatics in physics in in germany right in jena in the city where i grew up in the he built at, at the age of 65 he solved an open problem the the optics community had for 300 years and uh, he built a whole company empire around this on how to make aspherical lenses much, much cheaper, how to produce them at scale really cheaply, but high quality. 
And it's uh, then our market leader, it's a hundred million dollar company. I thought, you know, if my dad can do this at the age of 65, I should be able to do it at the age. I can't remember how old I was, maybe, you know, 30 back then. And that was really the kind of the, the inspiration, bring both together, right? So I had something to do, which came out of uh, France Telecom, you know, triggered by the actual inspiration of my dad. This is how my first company really came about. Gosh, that's 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 incredible. That's some inspirational figure, though, isn't it, to have a father that does yeah. that, a parent? Yeah. And I was surprised to see that as an entrepreneur advisor, a technology advisor for startups, that the House of Lords came among that. Look, I mean, it was less about teaching them about entrepreneurship, but more about, you know, teaching them about being more entrepreneurial. You know what I mean? So a little bit more dynamic, engaging, stakeholder engagement, tell them what are the latest technologies, what could be done, what can IoT do, what could 5G do, uh, you know, what are the opportunities and threats of cybersecurity? So that type of stuff. And, I'm, you know, I find it quite fascinating. In fact, you know, I lived in six, seven countries, I don't know. And it's actually really the, the UK, uh, you know, has, has of Lords, has of Parliament, actually both both sides, as, you know, as well as the various ministries, DC, uh, DCMS and Bays, really interested in tech, really interested in reaching out. There's a very close connection between innovators, you know, people who really move the field and uh, those who write the policy. So I think it's that's really an amazing thing about the United Kingdom. And this sort of communication in terms of what you do, this... I've seen some of your YouTube videos. You're very enthusiastic, very effective at, at communications. You obviously see that part and dealing with the media as well as, as an important part of being an engineer. Yes, we need more of that. We need more training of that, you know, and I always say that. And in fact, you know, I, 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 I see this at King's as well, and that's why we implemented the, a totally new set of, of courses. And I'm teaching myself an entrepreneurial entrepreneurship and leadership course because uh, whilst, uh, you know, traditionally we're, we're very good in building, you know, and then upskilling people to become the most fantastic engineers. They really know all about bits and bytes and soldering and components and building boxes, right? What we talked about before, uh, but they're not so good in communicating this. And, uh, you know, not even talking about the media. I'm talking about their own peers, about their boss, about, you know, the, the people they work with. So we, I think engineering really needs needs more of that we need to teach more soft skills it's not about hard skills more soft skills leadership management entrepreneurship being entrepreneurial what i alluded to before and it's particularly important in engineering because you cannot think of anything in engineering which is done by a single engineer we are by definition a collaborative kind of cohort we have to work together and and all the big challenges of the 21st century are really you know mechanical engineering electrical electronic engineering chemical engineering you know material science all together I'm going to refer back now to a word that you used earlier to see how important it has been in your career, even though there doesn't seem to be that much of it. And that word is rejection. You said that, you know, you had various ideas been re rejected. How important is that rejection for an engineer? Yeah, it's rejection and failure. Okay, mm -hmm. it's rejection and failure, and uh, it 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 is important. It, it makes us stronger. It's always painful, and you know, people say you have to pass through this phase so you understand really what are the boundaries, what's the doable, where, where do you need to push against. But it is painful. Okay, so it's it's really not an easy process. 
in that, you know, I have failed on a lot of things. I've tried a lot of things. You know, I've tried to introduce new things. And uh, there was either a problem I failed with funding or I failed with, uh, you know, kind of ex- creating the impact I wanted to create. But it, I, it only made me understand on really how to operate, you know, how society works. And uh, I also started to recognize that, you know, you really need everybody. There aren't just three, four people really moving the field. You need everybody to move it. And uh, and that kind of allowed me also to build what, what, what I call the streamlined impact pipeline. In fact, I had explained it earlier. So you would start with an idea, you try to get funding, you would then, um, you know, start designing it. You start prototyping that, engage with industry, standardize it, build a policy work around this, um, and then bring it out, make a company around it, you know, build a product, you know, get media attention. So it really understanding that impact pipeline, I think it has come about because you know, I, I was rejected on, on, on a lot of ideas. I failed on a lot of things I would have loved to make happen. So here we are. It's just part of the process. And since we engineers do a lot of trial and error, you know, it's just part of our portfolio. And what about the future then? You you mentioned, you've already referred to 6G. You mentioned how the Internet of Things took a lot longer than you expected to come together. Do you still see the Internet of Things and 6G as something that's going to happen fairly soon or is it still always feeling just slightly out of reach? <laughs> yeah, so interesting, the, the Internet of Things, uh, so the ability to connect, you know, sensors and actuators and the billions and trillions around the world is a is a slow revolution happening in the back. And uh, we can now use 4G systems, 5G systems in the future, 6G systems to connect it. The problem is not the connectivity. The problem with the IoT was always the demand side, but it's picking up now. And I always like, you know, I like to liken the uh, demand side to, to, to wine, a good bottle of wine, right? So when, when you want to enjoy your wine, you typically open it. And then you have to wait, no matter what happens, uh, you know, no, no matter how good or bad the wine is, there's nothing you can do about the wine takes time to, you know, to, to really oxygenate and so you can consume this perfect you know, glass of wine. And the same with the demand side industry. So, you you know, we produce a lot of tech and then we just need to wait. We, we, we shouldn't lose really patience here for the future. We work now on other things, you know, I work on the Internet of Skills, which I believe will be the next generation Internet after the Internet of Things. So the ability to connect uh, skill sets so you can conduct skills through the Internet, you know, without actually needing to move. We can transmit audio and video today, read emails, but, you know, I can't touch through the Internet. I can't move a box. I can't repair an engine through the Internet. And imagine you could do that in five to six years' time. And uh, we needed 5G for that and uh, probably constituents of 6G. Uh, but we're really working on this. I always see these generations as an enabler for, for, for the bigger picture. For me, the big picture now is that Internet of Skills. And you've already given some useful advice already for younger people who are considering a a career and perhaps haven't thought about telecommunications. What would your advice be for them? So telecoms in the 21st century, I think it will really be a, a cornerstone of so many things, connectivity, digital, you know, the, the fabric of society altogether. So I think it's a career really worth pursuing, but it's unfortunately not only anymore just doing, you know, telecoms. Where I'm currently looking, I can tell you, you know, I'm currently looking for for students who are brilliant in, in computer science and artificial intelligence. And the future will be looking for students who know about quantum and quantum, 
you know, quantum programming. So therefore, if you upskill, you know, in, in technologies which are emerging at the moment, such as quantum, including quantum security, you know, the, the quantum networking capabilities, quantum programming, uh, anything related to artificial intelligence, um, you know, but the core domains such as convolutional neural networks, but also more advanced ones such as uh, neuromorphic computing um, or distributed artificial intelligence, uh, as well as, you know, other domains uh, combining, for instance, quantum and AI, uh, as well as cybersecurity as, as a field in general. So these are huge enablers which allow us to build these next generation systems and really make them you know usable for for society so that would be my recommendation my other one would be you know keep it real I try to be hands-on not don't only learn from stuff anything i always say you know for every you know big data there needs to be a big action right so for every hour you spend behind the screen or you know in the classroom learning something you should be spending an hour building it as well right for every hour playing a game you should create a game so you know this really what moves us as engineers as societies so that would be my advice to the youngsters of, of today I love the thought then of that phrase, let's upskill and keep it real. <laughs> well, Misha Dola, thank you very much for joining me on the Create the Future podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Find out more about the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering by following QE Prize on Twitter and Instagram or visit qeprize.org. Thanks for listening and join me again next time.